Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. Today's guest is Juno Dawson. She is a multi-award winning author of 10 books. We're here to talk about her 10th book, uh, which has just come out called The Gender Games. In 2014, Juno became a school role model for the charity Stonewall. And in 2015, Juno announced her intention to undergo gender transition and live as a woman. Her memoir, The Gender Games, is out today, June the 1st. On the cover of The Gender Games, it says, The problem with men and women from someone who has been both. This book isn't just about how the conversation around gender is uh, affecting trans people, which of course it is, but in fact it's messing with everyone. From little girls who are told they can't be doctors, to men that can't cry because they feel like they can't, feminism that excludes people, and the alt-right. Juno is a regular contributor to Attitude magazine, Glamour magazine where she has a column, and The Guardian. She's been on BBC Women's Hour, ITV News This Morning and Newsnight, and talks about sexuality, identity and education. So I went to Juno's book publishers and we sat in a little meeting room and chatted about her new book, The Gender Games, which I really enjoyed and recommend you read. And here is the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Right, well, hello, Juno Dawson. Hello. Someone that I've wanted to get on the podcast for so long and now I guess it's the perfect time. Thank you for having me. So before we start talking about The Gender Games, which is an incredible book, I just wanted to say, okay, so in the first bit it says also by Juno Dawson, nine books. Yeah, this is number 10. This is your 10th book. In like six years, which is pretty mad. Is that right? 2000, well I started writing in 2008, so it's about a decade, yeah. And I think that's, obviously I really respect you and your writing, but there's a real kind of, I'm in awe of that amount of writing, like that's, you're prolific. That said, it's a necessity. If I want to live full time as a writer, I need one novel out a year, otherwise I'm going to starve, so... Well, that was going to be my question, actually, is, like, there's always this thing of, I want to write and I have to get it out of me and I have so much in me to tell, but actually, that's a really good point. People maybe write books on the side of other jobs, or... But this is your full-time career, you are an author. So, yeah, so I did, um, I used to be a primary school teacher, and when I got my first book deal, I sort of made the decision to have a year out, and I was going to have a year off and promote my first novel, um... And then I guess take it from there. And once you've been a full-time writer, I mean, it's a lovely, incredibly privileged position to be in, in that, you know, I get to do a job that has never felt like a job. It's something I adore. I love writing. I particularly love writing stories. There's always, I've always had more stories in my head than I've had time to tell. So certainly coming up with them hasn't been an issue, but it became, I think, quite clear after the first year that if I was going to, be a full-time writer that you you do need to write you know I get you sell your book you know they're not just you know I don't get paid a wage by my publisher you know they pay you for the book and I think you know you have to sell it in you you do you, you've got to sit down and do the writing and I think it would be lovely to be like Donna Tartt and be able to do one book every 10 years <laughs> and kind of really take that time to work on a masterpiece and um, but the reality of publishing is that it does move a bit faster um but more than that, you know, that's how fast I write as well. Um, yeah. And if I was writing, like, a series, it, very often you're expected to do one book every six months. Like, you know, Holly Bourne has done one book every six months. Holly Smale had to do one book every six months. Mm-hmm. So there is an expectation maybe in children's and young adults fiction that you will be producing one to two titles a year. But, and do, um, you, do you kind of know now your perfect environment or is it very much kind of piecing things together 
in like quite a haphazard way? Like, how does it work? Because I know some authors, I mean, I know that I email myself mm -hmm. chapters or I write random bits when I'm waiting for the bus. I don't know. Oh gosh, no. I wish I could be that disciplined. No, it, um, that's disorganised. Yeah, in a world of Instagram, <laughs> there's no danger of me writing on the bus. But um, I... Now, it's strange, the last couple of years I've sort of fallen into a pattern and didn't even realise, which is I use my summer to write. So obviously June's going to be really frenziedly busy promoting the book, but then July, August, September, I've, I've got to do a novel for 2019. Mm. And I know what it is, I haven't started it yet, but... So having, and I'm trying, it's such a lovely carrot to dangle. So yeah, my, in fact, so far the first six months of this year have been so, so busy. Because um, I had the novel out as well. Mm -hmm. So I've been so, so busy that I'm really looking forward to just having time to write, you know. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's such a, such a luxury that I will be able to sort of go to a coffee shop and just spend some time with some new characters. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to it. I'm so excited. I've so awesome. got to get through June. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Well, this book is incredible. I, I loved it so much. I think it's because as well, it's obviously full of your personal anecdotes and you're the perfect person to tell this story. But also it's so... Like, this gender discussion mm -hmm. is for every single person oh on the God, planet. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. You, you start off by saying that um, a baby is born and it's a boy. And why do we just give these two genders out and there's no wider conversation early on in someone's life that it might not be that binary. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one and it's dangerous because, you know, you are going to be told, you know, sooner or later. And I know I say in the book as well that if you're an expectant family, if you're an expectant mother, that, you know, finding out the gender of your baby, actually you're not finding out the gender, you're finding out the sex, finding out the sex of your baby, um, it's it's a biggie because you are immediately so whether you get told Mrs. Gannon you're having a boy or you're having a girl immediately comes with all these presumptions and you know my friends are, are kind of we're, they're, we're very, sort of very switched on very liberal very aware group and one of my friends said to me she was pregnant and she said oh my husband would prefer a girl and I was like why what's a girl like what will a girl do that a boy wouldn't do and and straight away she was like oh no what is this i've unraveled some sort of terrible hydra and now i don't know what i've said and and yeah it's so there's nothing we can do about that you know sex although obviously in the book i discuss intersex people as well so sex isn't always you know black and white um but you know babies will be given a sex when they're born and a pink or blue and a baby pink group. or blue baby group. they just will so it's more i think and the whole point of the gender games is to brace yourself for a world in which we have gender flying at us from every angle. And how can we almost gender-proof ourselves? Yes. You know, because it's going to happen, you know. And there's so much presumption and stereotypes attached to both male and female or man and woman that how do we, how do we navigate that? And that's what I loved as well in this book. It's... it's I, I obviously love that there's you're highlighting a lot of issues around women but also this whole bit about men because I mean if I had a boy in the future I would hate for that boy to feel like he needed to be like a man in, in inverted commas or um, you know all these like little bits of language that people fly around like crying like a girl or yeah. you're such a girl or man up or man up and grow just, up her yeah. and all of that stuff around kind of men not being able to talk about their feelings is a killer yes 
You can't just talk, if you're going to talk about gender, you have to talk about both sides of gender. And I think this is where a transgender woman is uniquely positioned because while, you know, as it's abundantly clear in the book, there was a terrible mix up with my gender at birth, you know, but, you know, for the first 30 years of my life, people thought I was a man and people thinking you are a man comes with a different set of rules for when people think you're a woman. And so while, you know, then there's a lot of online debate about truly how much any transgender woman has truly benefited from male privilege, but it's there on, it's it's kind of on offer because Mm -hmm. people think you're a man. Um, um, I never quite passed as a man, it has to be said, you know, I, I, as soon as I was able to talk and walk, people called me a girl. Because, you know, I never quite got being a man. You know, there was always something. I think anybody could tell that I wasn't doing an awfully good job mm. of adhering to what we expect of men. Yeah. And um, I did slightly, I, I glimpsed both sides. So all my life I've been very, very interested in kind of, you know, what is a woman and what is a girl and what should girls do and what should women be? Because I was trying to be one. But at the same time, I was being told, stop that, you're a boy. This is what boys do. This is what men do. Um, Why are you throwing like that? I mean, God, PE. There's a whole section in the book just about my experiences of high school PE, which is a wonder. It's a wonder I didn't need more therapy, to be honest. You know, I remember once, and this isn't in the book, I remember a PE teacher, who we won't name, coming into the changing room. So I would have been about maybe 14, and I was so skinny and so small and had a very sort of little androgynous body. Um, I remember the PE teacher coming in and I was in my pants. So I was, this probably wouldn't happen now, just some sheer child protection reasons. At least I hope it wouldn't. So I was there standing in my underwear in front of a changing room full of much, much bigger boys, given that I didn't particularly feel like a boy anyway. This was not my safe space. And he came in and he kind of manhandled me to show me how to throw like a boy. He was like, you th- right, you throw like a girl, I'm gonna show you how to do an overarm throw. And so me standing there in my underwear, this PE teacher kind of manipulated my arms into how to throw like a boy. You know, and this is what the boys have to deal with. So, you know, no, it wasn't, it wasn't always easy. And as well, I think, you know, there's, there's I think there's there's two chapters in the book that particularly deal with men. There's one about the dangers of masculinity, um, both on and off the gay scene. Um, Because I think as well, so I experienced, you know, when people thought I was a man, people always thought I was a gay man. So I did experience a slightly different view of what it's like to live as a man because gay men have their own cultural norms. And the other, oh, that's right, the other chapter is about sort of the alt-right and the mm. new, this, this new, the men's rights movement and meninism and the anti-feminist movement. This because toxic. I think that stems from gender as well. I think that's a lot to do with some men getting the idea that somehow women have more privilege and that women are the elite and that, you know, that they are a put-upon um group in society and I think that stems again from this this idea that they've not been allowed to 
you know, express themselves. And this is this is men expressing themselves, but in a really damaging, toxic way and in a way that harms women. So Yeah. And it's so transparent that they are so scared and fearful and threatened by any any sense of equality. It's it's really, really strange. Um, I try not to look at any of it because I feel like I go into a hole and then you know you know in Stranger Things there's like a parallel <laughs> yeah, world you get to the underneath I feel it. like I go into like Stranger Things yes. when I go and watch like all oh these old right Twitter on like 4chan and 8chan and Reddit oh god because that is it is like being in the Black Lodge in yeah. Twin Peaks it's yeah. like another world because you live in your world and then you're yeah. like here's all these you know free thinking people mm-hmm. who might I might argue with or have different opinions with but it's, it's like this other world isn't it it truly is they have their own language and i had to i had to go there for research for the book and at least read it's in english you know like 8chan and 4chan they have it's very much an exclusionary group in that was it they call them the, the people of kekistan i don't even know where that's from or what it means but i'm like it's a made-up place and and again, I think that's the whole point. They're mocking the whole concept of identity by sort of saying, oh, well, we're from this made a place called Kyrgyzstan. But it's like, this is some weird stuff. Really weird. This is really, it's like, apparently, um, in the Sugar Babes, um, Mutia and Keisha made up a false language so that Heidi couldn't understand them when she first joined. I don't know if that's true. Please don't sue me. But it's kind of that, it's that level of crazy yeah. kind of... Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of um, what I was going to ask you about, um, pop, you know, role models and yes. pop culture, because I, I really like what you were saying in the book about nowadays, um, even though social media has levelled the playing field, anyone mm-hmm. can be an Instagram star, blah, 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 we still have the same problem, like you highlight in the book. But where are the role models now? Where, where's the diversity that we thought in, the internet would bring us? They're, they are there. There are people there. But what's interesting is, so what I love about the internet is that we've taken out gatekeepers. So young people now, you are completely free to curate who your role models are. And people do. Mm -hmm. You know, what's hugely encouraging about YouTube in particular is that there there is a real opportunity for LGBTQ voices to break through. I mean, people a little bit younger than me, all of their first LGBT role models were on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's really encouraging. And it's, the internet has allowed people like Janet Mark to break through. And, you know, there aren't many opportunities for trans women of colour in the mainstream media, yet Janet Mark has completely been able to break through, as has Monroe Bergdorf. Also, Janet Mark's got a podcast coming out, hasn't she? Yes. Which really makes me happy because that is no gatekeepers either. No, exactly. The, The issue, I think, is as soon as you get gatekeepers in place, that's when we, we start to, we still see a very limited group of particularly women because actually when you look at the tv we do allow you know all you have to do is turn on the news and you've got some i think it was kelly man who said it looks like some wizard sat next to like an usually incredibly young thin tanned blonde woman and that hasn't really changed because we still have those gatekeepers um and so it's really difficult and i think still you know, and I talk a lot about music and I do worry about music um, because, you know, it's been 20 years since the Spice Girls and things have changed. You know, yeah. it, it feels like young pop musicians, the female ones, are incredibly sexualized and it feels like they're put under a lot of pressure to be sexy as well. 
Um, do you feel like the younger generation on the whole, like I, like teens, I'm I'm really proud of like the teenagers that I see yeah. doing all of the work um, they are, but also how they're not taking anyone's bullshit mm-hmm. and they have their own ro- role models that they create themselves. Yeah. And do you feel like in years to come, this conversation about sex and gender actually is going to kind of filter into the mainstream more because we've got these young teens that they've grown up knowing exactly mm-hmm. what gender fluidity is. Like yes. they're coaching their grandparents about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Because already we see that, so like our generation is now increasingly in charge of the mainstream media, and you can you can you can see a lot of those things. Like Stranger Things is the perfect example. So clearly inspired by the things we grew up watching, like Goonies and Labyrinth and all those things. And so sooner or later, the people that I meet when I'm in schools, who are these incredibly switched on teenagers and young adults who they know about asexuality and pansexuality and demsexuality and genderqueer and non-binary. They know these things. Sooner or later, they will be in charge of the media. Mm. And we are, you know, and obviously people might have seen me go up against Piers Morgan on Good Morning Britain. Oh, I missed which that. Was that does, recent? It was a couple of weeks ago, yeah. It does just feel like you are arguing with a dinosaur mm. and a dinosaur who wants to be belligerent as well. Not just a regular dinosaur, a really belligerent dinosaur. Yeah. And, you know, being willfully, you know, ignorant. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem. And if you've, because with like, I guess this, this podcast as well, uh, you know, I, I really like asking people about how they do deal with the internet from all different perspectives. Because oh. obviously, you, as a writer as well, and as someone who is writing books and promoting books and stuff, the internet is great for loads of reasons, as you've just said, loads and loads of reasons. But it feels like you have to grow a thicker skin to kind of get on with your day now whether that's like comparing yourself to people whether that's you know just feeling like you're wasting your time online or there's loads of ways that you can kind of feel guilty about spending time online but I really look to you as someone who I feel like you really can defend and stand for what you believe in it's funny because I'm an internet hate figure today so it's it's difficult because I feel a bit sore I had a really bad day yesterday um, well, we're attitude. all human. No, yeah. no one can say, oh, that doesn't bother me. An attitude, yeah. Um, I, there was a headline on the front cover of Attitude that, could, that has been widely misinterpreted, and I'm not thrilled about it. I certainly didn't choose that headline. Um, but it's difficult because I, I sort of... I know what I meant. And I think if you read the article, you would, but of course, people on Twitter don't want to read the article. Mm. And I think... It's funny, it depends which social media you most engage with, because the problem with Twitter in particular is there's no room for nuance in 140 characters. And you see yesterday, I just had people saying, kill yourself. And that's not something you can discuss. You know, when somebody says, Juno Dawson is trash, why don't you kill yourself? You're kind of like, do you, do you want And the people didn't want to hear. So sometimes if people weren't just saying, kill yourself, I said, oh, but this is what I meant. You know, when I was a teenager, you know, I just wanted to be a girl and anything else felt like a bad fit. And that isn't a criticism of any other sexual or gender identity. Because I just wanted to be a girl. For a period I thought I wanted to be a Spice Girl. I didn't, I just wanted to be a girl. And that's really hard. And so I explained that to some people. And uh, for example, one was Perez Hilton. Perez Hilton was getting, he was like, oh my God, this is the most outrageous thing I've ever read. And I said, oh Perez, this is what I meant. And he immediately sort of said, oh, okay. And but he had just read the headline from Attitude and a lot of people did and got really outraged and I was kind of like but 
read the article but people didn't want to read the article yeah. people had no interest in actually reading what I really meant they were just wanted to be outraged and this so is so wonder... ironic because I feel like this book is starting conversations I hope so really good conversations and th- that's why I love your column that you write for Glamour as Thank well you. because that's obviously a very mainstream media where yeah. you're you are going to be educating a lot of people because a lot of people might not know what to say what not to say and actually not that it's your job to do that um, but you are doing that and you're doing that in the book there's loads of things where you're not I felt when I was reading it you're not explicitly saying by the way guys say this or <laughs> but there's a bit where actually I might just read it because I really liked it um, which bit, bit will it be which bit will it be <laughs> there's a bit where say, you say if you like you may call me a transsexual because dictionary definition I am changing sex as of mid 2016 for the first 18 months in which I only really changed my hair and my clothes I was technically transgender that said a lot of trans people really fucking hate that term <laughs> transsexual so best be careful with it exactly, exactly and it's like um, well actually I bet a lot of people don't know that no, and for the purposes of the tapes, let me listen to you. So sex, <laughs> sex is biological. So sex is usually five things. Let's see if I can remember them off the top of my head. It's your chromosomes. So it's whether you are XX or XY. It's whether it's the prevalence of the hormones in your body, because we all have testosterone and estrogen, but it's how much of those things you have. It's your um, gonads, so whether whether you have ovaries or testicles, it's your internal genitalia, so whether or not you've got a womb, and it's your external genitalia, so whether you have penis or clitoris. Um, that's sex. Everything else is either a secondary sexual characteristic, so for example, breasts, or um, or just pure gender, so hair, makeup, clothes, your name. Um, your role in society and the family you know all of those things are pure gender and I always sort of said with the gender games if people can take that away that there is a difference between sex and gender and I think I've done like a really good job mm. and I think that's something that I can sleep easy with now and again really and that's and I think that does help people understand this idea of transgender because it means immediately and I was, I was really pleased like Eddie Izzard refers to himself as transgender now as well because he does alter his clothes and his hair and his makeup so those things are gendered um, so what would would he have different pronouns maybe? no and I think that's you know your pronoun is very gendered and this is why a lot of trans people you know are very very keen that people get their and that pronouns we should ask. correct and that we should ask yeah. and, you know a lot of people now are using they instead of he or she because he or she are very gendered obviously I um, also really like in the bit where you say I'm going to I'm going to use the term cisgender throughout the book because there is no normal yeah um, and I don't think I don't think if there is a better word than cisgender I don't know what it is and I know some people really hate it but the alternative is saying that some people are normal and some people are not and I think so for that reason people do just need to suck it up yeah. and deal with cisgender slightly because yeah. that's the alternative you know it's the I think those are the two things that we have right now in the future language evolves language changes um and I know that's one of the first conversations I had with my editor at Glamour magazine she was like before we get started could we just talk about the phrase cisgender I've seen it all over the internet and I'm not entirely sure what it means yeah and I was kind of like well let's do it then let's there's something that you know I can answer and I, I know what to do and you know cisgender has been in circulation for actually a very long time it's a latin term it's not derogatory it's just saying you agree with the gender that you were given at birth it just yeah. means same gender that's all it means you do talk about online dating quite a bit <laughs> oh my God, it was yeah. interesting like hearing about your experiences of being with that 
what is it like kind of now? I think I found the utopia. I joined Urkay Cupid. I don't know if I'm allowed to plug dating sites on your podcast. Of course. But it if turns, it's a positive it turns out there is it. a place where not insane men go to try meet women and it's okay cupid now i had briefly been on okay cupid do you have to pay for that one no you don't have to you can um okay cupid i'd say it's kind of like the indie one so if match.com is mainstream i guess then okay cupid feels a bit more indie and the guys on there are certainly there it feels like they're sort of from your sort of internet creativity backgrounds and immediately it just felt like my gender wasn't an issue you know straight away you know the guys were popping up and using phrases like sort of sapiosexual or pansexual or um what was it the one used heteroflexible which i thought (laughs) was rather wonderful and and yeah it just didn't seem like an issue whereas on tinder my gender was much more of a talking point which is and the questions were not massively polite it was very much lots of firing lots of questions about my body at me so mm, that's not not okay not as a conversation starter i mean at least ask me you know what what's your favorite tv show or anything first yeah. it's, again it's this is a problem with living online which is people don't behave online the way they would behave in real life yeah you know yes. although i have heard stories of people asking really inappropriate questions oh i've heard people scream at me on trains get your dick out and stuff yeah i've had that and it's not nice quite scary but it's really scary is it different kind of you're quite you're very well known like you can you're you know people can look you up online yeah you've written 10 books like you're a prominent name in the media is that kind of a strange thing about dating well (laughs) this is a relatively new thing something's changed this year and i think it's related to my transition because you know, the first seven of those books came out with a different name on the front. And I think there are a lot of white gay men in the media. Of course there are. Um, you know, I can think of lots of even YA authors like Patrick Ness and various others who are Adam Silvera, David Levithan, lots of other white gay male YA authors. And then I guess, I guess sort of starting my transition, and this was not the intention, kind of singled me out as a bit of a point of difference. And just in the last sort of six months to a year things have changed and people are now starting to recognize me and it's weird and it's quite unsettling and it's especially weird because it's kind of I did sort of invite this upon myself you know I I wanted um a media presence because I hope it will sell me books and I will be able to buy more things and be able to afford food and shoes and and also as well you know I've you know I'm I can't really talk about things that I'm working on some TV things as well and that's it's all good stuff and it feels like a progression in my career but at the same time as your profile raises it attracts negative attention and you know I get more trolls on on the internet and similarly it's a strange kind of scrutiny and you know just two we're, we're now two weeks on is it even two weeks was it just last weekend last weekend I did a big spread in the Guardian yes and yeah yeah, just since then people have been coming up to me and like people messaging me online read your Guardian piece and I'm like right okay so this is this is something of a turning point and it's going to be interesting to see where it goes 
so far, you know, the Guardian piece went down really well and I've had so many lovely messages. And even the comments on the internet were positive. I mean, can you imagine what is the world coming to when a piece online about a transgender woman gets supportive comments in the comments box? This is the future. We've we've arrived at the future. This is the future liberals want. Um, oh, it's, it's in, brilliant. That's what you're doing. You've done that. Then I shared my experience as a teenage trans girl in attitude and I was told mm. to kill myself. So it's... What, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's interesting how these platforms can change with the, yeah. with the readers as well. This year has been a weird and different year. It's going to be interesting to see what happens next. Cause I, think, I wonder if it's because it's like all come at once as well. I think it's a mixture of having a memoir out in a quiet time, because usually memoirs come out just before Christmas. The fact that I'm trans and there is a bit of an obsession in the media with gender at the moment, see Piers Morgan, and the fact it's got a great cover, I think that cover has opened doors. And the fact that I guess I did have a bit of a back catalogue as well. Yeah. So it feels a bit of a perfect storm. And, you know, there's a lot of publicity around this book. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know, I just hope, again, we can get the message out there, which is, you know, when, when things go sour like they did yesterday, you know, it's really hard to actually make your point. Yeah. In in a in a the, in the midst of a Twitter storm, it's quite hard to be heard. So. This is why we kind of need to bring back like the art of actual conversation as well. Yeah, this is and this is why the podcast as a medium is so wonderful because it's really hard to, for example, pull a headline quote yes. from out of a podcast. And again, there's room for nuance, and I think I do wonder slightly if this is why. I don't know if you're feeling this, but I'm feeling a general turn against Twitter, which is a shame because mm-hmm. I love Twitter and I've always loved Twitter, but it feels like... I think it's just like, I, I mean, I retweeted something the other day, which I've now found out is, was a fake news story. And mm-hmm. I just really had to be like, oh, there is such a responsibility, especially if you do have like a presence on Twitter that you are not perpetuating anything that I have to check something like 50 times before I post about it now. I mean, I have such a big mouth. This is something I've never claimed not to. I'm, I'm such a gobshite. I'm from Bradford. But it's kind of like, I wonder now, again, if there has been a bit of a tipping point. And the difference is now that actually there are people listening to what I have to say. And I do feel a huge responsibility because, because a lot of my followers are young LGBTQ people. And... You know, being a role model is impossible because all a role model can do is fuck up. Am I allowed to say fuck? Because yeah, I just yeah. did. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, you know, and I think it's it's difficult, and especially women and people from minority groups, we're held up as role models more quickly. And, you know, it's, it's a precarious position to be in. And, you know, okay, so officially I am a Stonewall role model, but I've never sort of claimed to be a perfect person. I'm not, I make mistakes all the time. Some of my favorite people make mistakes. You know, I'm a huge fan of Leonard Dunham. Mm. And yeah, Leonard Dunham has said some stupid shit. I've said some stupid shit, but it's about how you get up after that. And it's about when you apologize and taking responsibility for the things you said, explaining and verifying when you need to. You know, this this kind of call out culture has kind of become tear down culture. Yes. And it's not wildly productive. And we have to be allowed to make mistakes. We have to be able to get it wrong, you know, because, you know, as a teenager, particularly and as a young adult, when I was in my early 20s, you know, I went wrong constantly. I made mistakes. I said stupid things. I made terrible decisions at work. I made terrible decisions in my relationships. And, you know, in the book, it's not his real name, but I talk about Mikey, you know, who was really my first boyfriend. And I broke his heart. I made an absolute mess 
because I'd never been trained on how to break up with someone. Mm. I'd never, you know, my PSHE at school was woeful. I don't know if we're teaching kids at school how to dump people. We should. We should absolutely be teaching kids at school how to dump people appropriately. And, you know, it, it, you know, I look back at some of the things I said and did when I was growing up. But, you know, you learn from them. Oh, totally. And if we don't give people room to learn because we're so busy just saying, kill yourself, mm-hmm. then we're just doomed. We are I doomed. I totally agree. Because also I think this call-out culture is like people trying to... Uh, build their identity so solidly they're like I think this you think that this is me and it's like we're all very fluid people what if we change our minds I mean what it's very boring I think calling people out for something they said five years ago because we can be diff- different I hope we can forgive each other a bit more as well what, what I realised really early on is that some people have decided that they this is the way and they're not going to be changed and my my strategy going forward if you like is be polite because my grandma always used to say manners cost nothing. And so I'm not going to be screaming at people in any forum. I'm not going to go on debates with people. That's something I've pulled out of a number of events. Like you get booked for a festival and say, oh, we're going to put you up against a person who is on record as saying they think trans women are men or they don't believe in gender. Because I'm just That's like, I'm yeah. not going to argue with that, you know. And it feels at the moment that there's not many other minority groups that would be put in that kind of situation you know, I think Muslims obviously are having a horrific time in the media and are very much put upon um, as are migrants. But I, I still, I don't, we, we rarely do we see people from minority groups being made to defend their very identities on news programs. And, and Laura Bates has pulled out of things before mm. where, because of her horrible experiences with them, um, like she'll get pulled onto like Sky News or yeah. some, be, I, I don't know, I don't know what platform it would be, but then she would have to literally spend the whole time defending that rape is bad. Yes. Because is... someone actually would be like, so do you think rape culture exists? Or like, do you think that rape is bad? And she's like, that's not a question. Yeah. That is not something I'm going to spend an hour defending. And so, I mean, it was interesting. I put my foot down at a festival in Liverpool last year and I did say, no, absolutely not. I'm not travelling to Liverpool to argue about my right mm. to breathe And to spend oxygen. the whole rest of the week feeling... Shit about it, yeah, because yeah. it does... It, and it's, you know, it's you feel very sore and it's quite exhausting. Like, after after the, the Good Morning Britain thing, I did... I was exhausted. And I know Fox, my friends Fox and Al, who are a gender non-binary couple, they went on the week after me and it was just car crash TV. It was just mm. awful. And so I just, I won't do that. But I think, you know, there are some quite high profile people who are cisgender, who have lots to say about transgender. Now, I don't understand what they're basing their opinion on because they've never had gender dysphoria. And that was kind of the issue with this Twitter thing yesterday, which is if you've never had gender dysphoria, I kind of don't want to hear it Mm -hmm. because you're not going to know what it's like from, from childhood to feel so fundamentally wrong and to have everybody saying one thing and you're like, nah, and you know, gender and sex are really big things. And for children, for a child to be at a loss, for a child to feel so lost and so confused, it's a really difficult thing. And so far, and again, Jenny Murray was just one of many, but for the likes of Jenny Murray, um, and Jermaine Gray and all these other people to sort of say I don't think this is a thing but but you've never done that you, this is not your experience mm-hmm. and it's 
very frustrating and and, and so it's you know and, and, and I am always polite you know I've been on Woman's Hour before I don't know if I'd be invited on now um, you know I, I'm not gonna scream at people and call them names or threaten them with violence because that's horrible and it's just insane behaviour and if you wouldn't do it in real life don't do it on the internet um, so the, I, I'll yeah. be polite and you know I, I will happily tweet these people if, if they're polite to me I will be polite to them because again manners cost nothing but I'm not going to. I don't think. I, I don't think you can win them round. And in a way, it's like, well, this book is going to help so many people, so many people that it's almost like you know people who probably won't even take the time to read the book are going to think that. Then, I mean, there's the chapter. There's the chapter in the book because I think there will be some people, and there'll be some people listening to this podcast now who, who think, oh well, it, well, you know, it's, it's good, good for them that you know, oh, she's very brave and she's very determined, but it's not a woman. There will be people thinking that, and that's kind of what we have to work with. And I've almost made my peace with the fact that I could talk until I'm blue in the face, too blue in the what? Blue in the <laughs> face. And some people are always just going to think I'm a man with a lot of makeup on, and you know, I'm busy living. I almost haven't got time to argue that with every person who thinks so. So that's why there's that one chapter in the book, because for those people who are kind of either haven't given it a lot of thought, or who are kind of on the fence and just want to hear what my experience is then that is then that is the experience um so there's one chat there's one chapter in the book and i'm sure it'll be controversial i'm sure i will get loads of shit online but i think i'll just say it the once and i'll say it in the book you know i think that transgender women number one are women <laughs> and number two we need when we talk about feminism feminism has to be a conversation about all women because there's no one way to be a woman and feminism has to look at all the concerns of all different women rich women poor women black women white women mixed race women um pregnant women not pregnant women just all the women have to be included because you know these are issues that affect us all and and particularly you know trans women have very unique concerns and very particular concerns and we have to talk about that but these are very overlapping concerns so for example healthcare is a huge concern to trans women and our access to healthcare is a huge concern and you know in this country our nhs teeters on the verge of privatization where would that leave me would i be paying for you know i take one pill a day that keeps my body female-ish you know where would i be would i have to pay for that um, and that's a question that would affect women on the contraceptive pill mm -hmm. and women on, you know, seeking treatments for female conditions like breast cancer. You know, it's the NHS is a concern for all women, trans and cisgender. And so that's why when we have conversations about women, I think it's really important that we do include transgender women in that Absolutely. conversation. Well said. Thanks. And on that note, um, really, just lastly, mm -hmm. when does the book come out again? The book is out on June the 1st. June the 1st, yeah. publication day. Um, and are you doing any events? Can people come and hear you speak? Or are you, you know, where can, oh my God, where can people you. follow so, you? So, where are we going? So, oh my god, you're going on a massive tour. There is I've a massive seen tour, the yeah. poster. So we are in Liverpool, we are in Newcastle, we're in Leeds. There's another northern one, so 
oh god there's somewhere else and they're gonna kill me all the details can be found on my twitter or facebook then there will be a london date we're going to do the british library in july that hasn't been announced yet but i am coming to london um and then festival some of the hay festival and um so yeah i'll be around bradford festival is coming up as well that one has been announced um so yeah i will be all over the summer i will be coming to a town in the evening um, well, yeah, look at those dates on Juno's Twitter feed and congratulations on a brilliant Thank book. You. I Thank loved you so it. Much. Thank you. Thank you for coming in.